Let's get our Bibles out. Sleep in service. Good to see you. Open up to Habakkuk chapter 2. So if you don't have a Bible with you, then you can grab that hardback Bible, turn to page 1081 or 1082, or you can go to Matthew and then back up five small books and you'll come to Habakkuk. But don't go fast or you'll miss it. And this little prophet has been speaking to us and helping us to have clarity and to see life uh, in a chaotic and seemingly catastrophic world at times the way we ought to see it. And um, there's no better place for us to turn to in this moment in human history than the book of Habakkuk. Let's pray and ask God to help us study. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a perfect and errant gift that you've given to us, and we receive it humbly. Will you use it to speak to us in this moment? Thank you for Clayton, for Addison, for Chris. Thank you for their testimony. We thank you for your work and their life. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of their journey. We pray, Lord, that as we recognize we're not here by accident, but each one of us has ended up in this place by your providence. God, will you give us ears to hear now and hearts willing to receive that we might glorify you in the hearing and understanding of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're calling this series Starting Point. Starting Point starts next week. That's what I wanted to tell you. So if you are new to us or relatively new to our faith family and you want to be uh, just, you know, a better uh, equipped to be a part of what God's doing here, then I would recommend that you start uh, next week in between the two services down in the fellowship hall. I will... Uh, teach starting point and that's a six-week class so you can everybody's welcome to be a part of it you can just uh, come and be a part of that and we would love to have you just be here at 9 30 down in the fellowship hall amen now upstream is when something that we naturally do becomes exponentially more difficult you know if a fish is swimming upstream a fish swims. That's what a fish does. It comes naturally to a fish. But going upstream is what it naturally does, but difficult. Well, we are human beings, and we've been created by God to live, and that's what we naturally do. But sometimes our circumstances are such that just living can be exponentially more difficult than it ought to be. It feels as if we're trying to live upstream where everything is sort of coming at us and it's not just the the current that's pushing back but it seems like all the obstacles that we're facing as we're trying to live and that is the perfect analysis of this current climate and culture in which we live in where it would be very easy to be frustrated it'd be very easy to be exhausted with all of the chaotic things that are going on, uh, things that would normally be simple 
have now become complex and difficult. And that weighs on us and it takes a toll on us. And so Habakkuk enters right into the story of God in the midst of chaos and frustration. God calls him to be a prophet. He uh, has witnessed the nation of Judah going in sharp decline. You know, Josiah became king and led the nation of Judah into a time of revival. But after the death of Josiah, it was absolute catastrophe. And so as, as this prophet who has come to, to declare God's word to the people watches king after king come, and it's just idolatry and debauchery, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And the whole time he cries out to God, week after week, month after month, year after year, nothing changes. It seems like evil's winning, evil's prevailing. Things aren't ever going to change. Things aren't going to get better. God's not answering. And so when he enters into the story, he enters in already reached frustration. You know, some of you have already reached frustration. You're frustrated because you have to wear a mask. Some of you are frustrated because other people, everyone else isn't wearing a mask. You're frustrated because you can't go here, you can't do this, or your job's in disarray, or you don't know if your kids are going to school, or if you're going to school, or what's going on. You don't know where the country's headed, what's going on with the election, what's going to happen with the economy, uh, how long is all of this going to stay the way it is, and when is it ever going to go back to the way it used to be? And do we really want to go back to the way it used to be? And is the way it used to be the way it ought to be? But all we know is that the way it is now stinks. That's Habakkuk. See, understand, Habakkuk doesn't... You, you, you're not frustrated if all you ever know is pain and suffering. Because if that's all you know, that's what you think there is. Right? If, if you were born at the beginning of the Great Depression then until that ended, you didn't know that was bad unless somebody explained to you that it wasn't always this way. Habakkuk, he had context. He remembered what was happening when Josiah was the king. And now he sees the disaster that everything is, and he is utterly frustrated. And, and to make matters worse, he comes to God, he, he brings his frustration to God, and God answers him. He says, God, what's going on? Why aren't you listening? Why haven't you answered me? Why is evil winning? And God says these life-altering, dreaded eight words in the sixth verse of the first chapter when God says, for indeed I'm raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. God says, look, if you think this is bad, this isn't even the beginning of bad. It's going to get so much worse than this you can't even imagine. And what does Habakkuk do? Does he go to the other prophets? Jeremiah's prophesying at the same time. Does Habakkuk go to Jeremiah and go, Bro, I talked to God, and this is what God said. Can you believe what God said? What do you think about this? He's sending the Chaldeans. Or does he go to, uh, you know, does he go to his friends? Or does he just quit and walk away? Or does he say, Well, then there's no point in me doing uh, anything if that's what's going to happen? No, that's not what he does. That's not what he does. He, he gives us this living illustration that there's a difference between frustration with God and bringing your frustration to God. 
You see, there's a lot of people today that are frustrated with God. If you look at social media or you listen to the things that are said on television or in the media about God, you can tell there's a lot of frustration with God. Now, there's nothing wrong with being frustrated with God, but there is something wrong with leaving it that way. In other words, if you're frustrated with God, what you need to do is take it to God. Because if you're frustrated with God and you just remain in a state of frustration with God, I don't know how to say this, but you're going to lose. That is an act of futility. You got to do something, but what you got to do is you take it to God. Take your frustration to Him. Habakkuk doesn't run away from God. Habakkuk runs to God. So what does he do with the information? This is the critical point for this week. What does Habakkuk do with the critical information that God has a plan, but the plan's not really something he can understand? What do you do in the midst of a chaotic world that seems like it's coming unraveled at the seams? What do you do? And if you know that God has a plan, but you don't know what it is or where it's going or what's going to happen next, well, what do you do? Enter chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says, in response to what God has told him, I will stand my watch. I will set myself on the rampart or the high place or the tower. And watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that they may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak. It will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Now let's consider. Habakkuk here teaches us that the more we know God, the better we're able to deal with life in a difficult world. You see, what Habakkuk wants us to understand, because what God teaches him is what we need to receive from that. This is why the book of Habakkuk is in the Bible. Like you'd ask yourself, well, well, why are these three chapters even in the Bible? For this reason, so that we could look at Habakkuk and how God interacts with him, and we could then know how God desires to interact with us when we don't understand what's going on around us, or when we're frustrated and don't, don't know what to do, don't know how to deal with that. Now, when we have mature faith, in other words, we've just spent months in the book of James, which is primarily a book about what real faith is. Well, how do we know that our faith is mature? How do we know that, that we actually have faith that is Mature. And the way you would know that is, is that mature faith, it humbly trusts in a God we can never fully understand. You see, 
God is beyond our comprehension. As we have continually seen all the way through the book of James and clearly in the book of Habakkuk, that his plan is not what anybody would have predicted or expected or understood in any way, shape, or form. It's just the same thing that's going on today, which is the same thing that's always been going on. This is not new information. But when we trust a God we can't understand, here's what we realize. We grow to a position where we realize that in our frustration and, and in the world of frustration that we live in, we were asking different questions. In other words, Habakkuk comes to God and asks a question. And then he realizes God is asking a different question. See, think about this. Habakkuk comes to God and he says, God, why are you letting evil win? God doesn't answer that question. God shows Habakkuk the question he's asking. God's question is, shouldn't I expect more from people who know me? than from people who don't? Think about it. That's the question God's asking. God's God's whole purpose here is working and dealing with His people because He expects people who know Him to be different from people who don't. And that's the same thing that's true today. Now let's take this apart. Look back at verse 1. Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand. Stand, watch. Set myself on a rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that, I, that he who may run who reads it. Now, the rampart, it's a high place. It's not a place where all our circumstances are fixed or our problems go away. It's a place where every city would have a tower, a high place, where you would go up. It would be a place where you would go up. It'd be quiet, peaceful. You'd be alone. You go up and you stand watch, and it gives you a different vantage point. It gives you a different perspective. You're able to see what's going on around you. You're able to see all the things that you can't see when you're down inside of the city, when you're down in your normal, living your normal life. It's a place where you get clarity. Habakkuk goes to the rampart because the rampart brings clarity. Now, it caused me to ask a question. Because my observation is this. That we live in a culture where very few religious people have clarity. Very few. Yet, the Bible presents God as a God who desires that all of His people would have clarity. Now, what's the problem? Well, first of all, Some of you in the room don't even know what I'm talking about when I say clarity. You don't even know what I mean by clarity. I'm going to explain that to you in a second. But I wonder why it is that clarity is so rare 
You see, because there's something that will thwart clarity in your life. You, you can want clarity. You can seek clarity. You can ask God for clarity and never get it. If this one particular thing is in your life, clarity only comes into a life that has relinquished its quest for control. The reason that so many people never have clarity is because they want control. And so long as you want control, clarity will elude you. Now, the reason I said relinquish your quest for control is because you've never been in control. You're never going to be in control. You just desire something. You're just chasing after something that you might as well be, you know, trying to be in control of your life. You might as well be out on a quest for Sasquatch. Because Bigfoot and control are the same thing. They're a figment of your imagination. You see, the gift of clarity is not control. The rampart gives us clarity, not control. Now notice, notice what he says. He says, I'm going to stand watch in verse 1. I'm going to set myself on a rampart. I'm going to watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer and what's the end of the verse? When I am what? Mmm. Did that jump out to you when you first read it? What does that tell us about Habakkuk? Do you know why he's on the rampart and why God gives him clarity? It's because he's, he's humble. He's relinquished his quest for control. He came on the scene... Pretty mad, pretty upset, pretty. But he says, when I'm corrected, he already knows. That's, you want clarity? That's how you get clarity right there. See, our heart desires control over our circumstances. But what our soul needs is clarity about the God we serve. That's what our soul needs is clarity. Now listen. What, what, what do I mean by clarity? When you're sitting alone with new perspective, when you're, when you're on your high place, when you go to the high place, the rampart, you can see what's going on around you. You can see the things that you previously couldn't see, right? There you are. Picture yourself. You're up on a tower. Suddenly, now you can see the horizon. You can see outside of the city. You can see danger that's approaching now, can't you? That's clarity. Now, let's talk about it for a second. Can you control what's coming over the horizon? No. No. But you can see it. See, clarity is not control. So, understand now... Think about what the Bible teaches. Habakkuk goes to a high place. He goes to a rampart. 
What about Proverbs chapter 18? We sing a song based on this verse. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. It's a strong tower. It's a rampart. He brings clarity. Now, does it say that all your problems go away? No. What does it say? It says your problems won't win. That's what Proverbs 18.10 says. They won't win. The righteous run in and are safe. Meaning, why did they run in? Because they weren't safe. Did their problems go away? No, their problems are still out there. But when you come to the strong tower, you get clarity. You You don't change. You don't have control over what's happening. But you're safe. You see? What about the psalmist in Psalm 61? For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. Again, is danger gone? No. The enemy is real. The enemy is present. The enemy, the trouble persists. What changes is the strong tower brings safety through clarity. You can see, but you're not in control. And when you can see, listen to me, when you can see, you're so grateful you're not in control. If you've ever known someone to have clarity, if you've ever had clarity, then you know you're so grateful that you're not in control. My goodness. You do not want to be in control. And see, what happens is we go up on a rampart. We get clarity. And we begin to trust in the sovereignty of God. We know, yeah, my, my troubles are real. My frustration and life is hard. There are things I'm dealing with. But I have clarity. God's in control. See, trusting in the sovereignty of God doesn't mean that life's going to turn out the way we desire. What it means is life's going to turn out the way God desires for us. That's what it means. And so when God grants clarity, well, inner peace comes as we learn to be okay in the mystery. See, think about Habakkuk up on that rampart. I want you to think about you. I want you to think about, what, you know, the ways in which life today is hard for you. And I want you to picture yourself up on a high place. And you're looking out. And as you're looking out, you can see a long way. And so what you know is that you can see everything from here to wherever it is the limit of your sight is. But you realize that beyond your sight, there could be anything. You have no idea. You have no way of knowing, no way to predict But you have clarity from here to there. You can see from here to there. You have no control over what may come or what may be next. Does God want you to have clarity? Is that the heart of God? Look at verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, so he goes up in a, 
in a posture of humility. I'm going to be corrected. Goes up to the high place. Now look at what happens. Then the Lord said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. God says, it's very simple. It's very, don't, don't remember what I'm going to tell you. Don't, don't like go, okay, I got to hear it. Write it down. In fact, chisel it into stone because it's very important. But it's very simple. Now, notice how this verse ends. It says, that he may run who reads it. Now, that doesn't mean that when you read it, you go, ah, and take off running. That's not what that means. What it means is he who reads it, it's so plain and simple that he can run and tell everybody he sees what he just read. Because God is a God of clarity. He wants his people to have clarity. He didn't say, now this is going to be highly complex, so you might need to go get a couple degrees before you can understand it. No, it's very plain. It's very simple. He wants you to have clarity such that when you get clarity, you can tell other people and they'll be able to understand it and tell other people that they come in contact with. Clarity. It only comes to those who relinquish their desire for control. So long as you live with this fantasy of control, you'll never have clarity. Never. Look at verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. So we're not, we're not winging it here. You know, Habakkuk, I know it looks like things are a little topsy-turvy. But God's like, now you're going to write down the vision. It's for an appointed time. An appointed time. Not just any time. An appointed time. But at the end it will speak. And it will not lie. Though it tarries or delays, wait for it. It will not, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So it won't be not one second late. Now, what a verse this is. God is not concerned with time. He's concerned with timing. What do I mean? Well, first of all, I want you to understand time is irrelevant for God. It's totally irrelevant. Why is time irrelevant for God? Well, God can't be late and he can't be early. So if, if you could not be late or could not be early, you would not need a clock, would you? No. God doesn't need a clock. He doesn't wear a watch. He can't be early or can't be late. He's all, he can, he's, is always and only on time. And so he's not concerned with time. But he's very concerned with timing. Then notice what he says. It's yet for an appointed time. See, his timing plays a very specific and strategic role in our lives. God's timing for things is centered around the fact that when we wait for his timing, our faith grows. Every single verse in the Bible about patience is positive. You know that? Every one of them. Patience always works a perfect work in us. 
Why? Because we have to yield to God's perfect timing in order to be patient. Also, God's timing ensures that God gets the glory. You see, when it doesn't happen according to our plan, according to the time that we want, in the way in which we would do it, then we don't get credit for it. God gets credit for it. It's an, it's an illustration. It's an exhibition of the perfection and power of God. Because it doesn't happen the way we would humanly think that it should happen. So you would think that people of faith would be people who in the midst of chaos, in the midst of adversity and struggle, we wouldn't be perfect, but can't we agree this morning that we would be the most expectant people in a time of trial, right? If you didn't know Christ, what would you be doing today? In other words, why wouldn't you be rioting in the streets? Why wouldn't you be protesting or acting like a moron on social media or yelling and screaming about everything? Or, you know, why wouldn't you? I mean, you might as well, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. You might as well jump in the pot. But if you know Christ, you know Christ, then wouldn't it seem that you'd be expectant? Now, by expectant, meaning you would have hope in, in, in every situation, wouldn't you? Because unless you somehow miss the end of the story, unless you somehow just, you know, how could you know Christ and not know that He wins? See, we win because He won. How could you miss that? How could you not know that? That this isn't all there is, right? So wouldn't that make us an expectant people? So what would be the opposite of being expectant? Negative. Seeing any negative Christians on social media? Hmm? You know any negative Christians? Are you a negative Christian? Grumpy? Short-sighted? Short-tempered? Aggravated? I'm not saying that adversity around us shouldn't affect us. But to what degree? To what degree? I mean, when you look at how so many people who would claim to follow Christ are responding in this season of human history, it's shocking. It's shocking. That's what I say. Whoa. It's shocking. Hmm. It seems to me that difficult times would be an opportunity for me to show how a person acts who really trusts Christ. Seems to me that's what God 
is telling Habakkuk, that's what he's asking. That's what God's after. That's the plan that God's working. I mean, anybody can say they trust God when times are good, right? Sure. But wouldn't it seem logical that in the darkest of days and the most difficult of times, that people who know and follow the victorious risen Lord Jesus would be noticeably, noticeably, noticeably different, expectant, hopeful, positive, encouraging. And yet, there's this doomsday mentality. Where does a Christian get a doomsday mentality? Oh, it's just a disaster. Oh, everything's just falling apart. Really? Have you opened your Bible? Just do the world a favor. Before you type on your keyboard, ask yourself the question, have I read my Bible in reference to what I'm about to say? It would be really helpful for you. Because remember, it's not just me you're annoying. You're going to stand before God face to face and give account. So you should think about what you're going to say before you say it. And it's not just just the world. Look, it's not just the fact that there's this incredible racial tension and there's this unbelievable divisiveness in our culture and our time and and, and, and uncertainty and, and unrest. It's not just that. It's that in the midst of that, there's all the personal real struggles and trials that many of you are going through that are just magnified in a season like this. I thought about some of the questions that people that I love are asking. Questions like, why has God not changed the heart of my husband who walked away from Christ 23 years ago? Or why has God allowed my daughter to be the victim of such evil and tragedy? Or God, why don't you heal me? God, why haven't you brought my my prodigal child home? God, why did my parents get a divorce? Why did my grandfather have to die? God, Why did my God-fearing, faithful mom have to have cancer twice? And you have your questions. Why, God? Why? Why has this happened? Why did it... why, why 
Why do things have to go this way? I don't understand. Welcome to Habakkuk's world. So what do you do? What do you do? See, what what is Habakkuk teaching us here? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If I carried all of the problems that you put on me, I would have been dead a long time ago. I would have been dead a long time ago. And so when people say to me, they say, Pastor Tony, I just don't know how you do it. Well, I'm about to explain to you how I do it, okay? I'm about to let you in on a little secret. This is what you do with your problem. You make your problem God's problem. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. When you come to me and you say, Pastor, I, I, why, I, I'm just devastated and heartbroken. Why won't God save my husband? Or why won't God heal me? Or why won't God fix this? Or why won't God do this? Or why won't... I don't say, well, that's just silly. Why do you... No, I, I love you. I care about you. So we start having a conversation. And here's what the conversation is going to be. I want to know why do you feel like you own this problem? Why is this your problem? That's my question. Why is it your problem? Why is it your problem that all of these things are going on? Is it your problem because God's waiting for you to do something? Well, I don't know. That's what we're going to find out. See, in other words, when you say, well, why won't God save my husband? Well, are you living faithfully? Are you a faithful witness before your husband? Yes. Well, why won't God bring my prodigal home? Well, have you, have you reached out to your prodigal? Have you looked for your prodigal? Have you done, invited your prodigal in? Have you done everything that you can do? Yeah. When you, to give, to make your problem God's problem, you do everything you can do, and then you say, God, I've done everything in my power. Now I'm taking this problem, and I'm giving it to you. There you go. There's a life-changing principle right there. You see, so long as there's something you can do about the problem, it's your problem. But once you've done everything you can do, why are you carrying the problem? If the only person that can answer the problem, if the only person who can solve the problem is God, then why is it your problem? That's my question. Some of you have lost decades of joy. Decades. Because you cannot let go of a problem that's not yours. For the grace of God, listen to what I'm telling you. Make your problem God's problem. God is waiting, hands open, ready to receive. That's his job. He's God. That's what he's telling Habakkuk. Habakkuk comes to him and everything Habakkuk is unraveled about are not his problems. They're God's problems. 
He's just made them his problems. And what you're reading is God reaching out and as Habakkuk hands them over, God takes them. It'll change your life. Look at verse 4. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by faith. Now that phrase, the just shall live by faith, that's familiar because it's all over the New Testament. It's in Romans 1, Galatians 3, Hebrews 10. It's all direct quotation from Habakkuk 2. In fact, what's remarkable is when you realize how many places in the New Testament this little unheard of prophet is quoted. The just shall live by faith? What is God telling us about faith? Well, He's reminding us what we ought to already know, which is faith is not our way of getting what we want. Faith is our way of getting what God wants. You see, the lie, the, the, the snare that so many people get hung up in is that they think that the reason, now listen to me, this is why you're perishing under the weight of something that's not even yours to carry. Because you think that the reason God won't fix the problem, He won't answer your prayers because you don't have enough faith. You think your amount of faith is the issue. What a lie from the pit of hell. What a lie. The Bible says all you need is the faith of a mustard seed to move a mountain. Jesus is trying to tell you that's not true. But you got scores of people living in defeat and condemnation and they believe and this is why we're so confused about prayer that we're, we try to find people more spiritual than us and ask them to pray about something because we feel like God won't answer my prayer but he'll answer their prayer. Because I don't have faith like them. Absurd. It's absurd. Isn't that what James taught us? You don't need me to pray for you. I get to pray for you. You have the same access to God as I do. Faith is not getting what we want. When you're walking by faith, listen, getting what we want is walking by sight. Don't you see that? When I get what I want, well, what's what I want? Well, I can see that. Walking by faith is getting what God wants. It's having clarity that God is in control and that He's a God of timing and that He'll show me, He'll show me what is on the other side of that horizon, when it's time, it'll come over the horizon. I'll have clarity and I'll see it and I'll know what's going on. I won't be able to control it. But I won't be panicking. I won't be grumpy and grouchy and frustrated and mean. And See, faith doesn't change what's coming over the horizon. Faith changes how we respond to what's coming over the horizon horizon so maybe maybe what we have today is a faith problem maybe that's why there's so many professing bible believing christians that are that seem to be panicking and coming unwound 
It's a faith problem. Let me let you in on a little newsflash. Look at verse 4 again. You know why God says, Behold the proud to Habakkuk? His soul is not upright in him. It's just a little... He's just easing him into where we're going next week in the rest of this chapter. That's God's way of saying, I see the Babylonians. I know who they are. I know what they do. Don't think I'm missing any detail. Can I let you in on a little, uh, just a little secret? It's okay, it's just between me and you. Don't tell anybody I said this. Nobody, nobody, nobody ever, ever, ever has or ever will. Nobody gets away with anything. Now, don't tell anybody. It's a secret. Nobody gets away with anything, ever. You've never gotten away with anything. Nobody will ever get away with anything. You don't need to worry about anybody getting away with anything. There's a God who's supreme, who's sitting on the throne, who's not moving over or letting anybody else in. And he's a God of ultimate and utter justice. And anything that's wrong has to pay a price. He's going to make it right one way or the other. Nobody's getting a free pass. Nobody's scooting by. Every single Injustice will be paid for one way or the other. You know that? You believe that? Well, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you met a Babylonian? You know any Babylonians? You been to a Babylonian restaurant anytime soon? Hmm? I'm sure it's curbside, but have you been there? Nope. You never met anybody who's a Babylonian. You know why? Because they're gone. They don't exist. Because God understood. He knew. They didn't win. Where are they? Meanwhile... While the world's superpower Babylonians, who were this unbelievable, marauding, powerful, in, un, I mean, invincible army, who were coming over the horizon. Look, Habakkuk is standing there like a farmer looking out at a dark cloud of locusts coming at his crop. There is nothing he can do about any of this. And where are the Jews? You can go to Israel. You can visit Israel. You probably know somebody who's a Israeli or Jewish. You don't know a Babylonian. You never met a Babylonian. You don't know anything about Babylon. You know why? Because they're one page in a history book. And when you turn the page, poof, they're gone. Where are they at? And guess what? You know the big scary monster that's out there today? You know, whatever it is that's got you so unraveled and so concerned and so worried, well, let me let you in on a little newsflash. It's going to be a blip on a page in a history book, and you're going to turn the page, and poof, it's gone. It's going to be gone. That's the end of it. 
What you thought was going to be the end of you. What you thought you weren't going to be able to endure. It's just going to be a little blip. But you know what? God's people are going to live on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. ever. Yes, that's right. Because God's a God of timing. Perfect timing. And he's in control. And he's got a plan that's for an appointed time. He knows what's going on. He's got this whole thing. Listen. Is he panicking? Is he rattled? Is he worried? See, this is what we got to understand. From Habakkuk, there's just, I, I, I mean, I'm struggling just to do four verses. There's so much wisdom in these verses. God is teaching us through Habakkuk the difference between hurt and harm. See, those are two very different things. God's showing Habakkuk. He says, look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. It's going to hurt. But I'm not doing it to harm you. I'm doing it to build you up, to make you better. See, some of you think God's harming you. He's not harming you. Now, he might be hurting you. And you know why he's hurting you? Because you got to hurt to heal. Isn't that right, John? So you go to the doctor and you're broken, and the doctor says, This is going to hurt a little bit, but it's going to heal you. You go to the dentist, and they say it's going to hurt a little bit. Right, Renee? But they're going to heal you. God's not harming you. God never harms His people. But He hurts His people for their good. For their good. To bring healing. Because you know what, you know what a God who wanted to harm you would do? Nothing. You want to know what God, if God wanted to harm us, if God wanted us to go straight down the drain, you know what he would do? Nothing. We could handle that on our own. We'd have that nailed down 100%. You want a disaster? A universe where God doesn't have a plan, that's a disaster. See, yeah, it's... It's a painful time. It's an opportunity to shine. That's what it is. So when it's the toughest, darkest, most confusing, difficult struggle, maybe of your, your life, understand God has a plan. And a pandemic's not going to change it. A civil war is not going to change it. An election is not going to change it. Racial tension is not going to change it. An economy is not going to change it. A natural disaster is not going to change it. World war is not going to change it. Nothing's going to change it. There's no nuclear bomb that's going to change it. It's not going to change. You know why? Because God's plan endures. It always has and it always will. And whenever the curtain pulls back and we get a glimpse behind it to see what God's doing it always freaks us out but it also reminds us he's sovereign he's powerful 
He's got this. He wants Habakkuk to know the same things he wants you and me to know. That when we, as Christ followers, hit the panic button, we've forgotten who he is. We've forgotten where he is. And we've forgotten what he can do. Because the God of the universe has a plan and he's standing right beside you and his arms are open and he's just waiting for you to give him all the problems that are not yours to carry. He's waiting. He can handle them. He can handle them. See, Habakkuk is literally standing in the middle of the biggest disaster moment you could ever imagine. Ever. And if you look down at verse 14, this verse will come up on the screen. God says in the midst of this disaster, He goes, well, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Does that sound like a God panicking to you? Is he like, oh my goodness, what are, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? What are we going to? He's like, don't worry. It's all going to work out for my glory. It's going to hurt, but don't worry, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal you. So, when you, maybe this is for you or maybe this is for the people you come in contact with. I don't know, you decide. But the question, because we're in a time right now of unprecedented questions. People are afraid and they're asking questions. And all we have to do is steer them to the right question. And what I've found is a lot of people want to ask me the question, is God real? That's the wrong question. So I simply point them to the right question, which is not, is God real? It's, can I know Him? Because if you can't know him, then whether he's real or not is irrelevant, isn't it? What difference would it make if there's a God? If you can't know him, it doesn't matter. What matters is can you know him? And if you can know him, that changes everything, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And so everywhere you go and everyone you come in contact with, or maybe for you this morning in your heart, you need to understand you can know God. And if you do know God, that's a game changer. It's a game changer. And if you don't know God, you need to know God more than anything else in the world. You don't have a problem that even comes close to that problem. But if you know Him, 
He will accept you and receive you and adopt you into his family and you'll become his child. And you can face anything that you face in this world with expectancy and hope. Because you know this will not be the end of you. Because your heavenly father has a plan. He has a plan and a purpose in all of it. Let's stand and bow our heads.